Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is December the 4th, and our chapter for today is the book of James, chapter 1. Well, I first want to introduce you to this book that Martin Luther called an epistle of straw. Now, he did that because he believed that it was not as powerful a book as the book of Romans, which was Paul's magnum opus, his great volume, especially as it relates to salvation. And Martin Luther believed that James contradicted what Paul said. However, we will learn when we get to that chapter that indeed that was not the case. As we go through this book, I want us to just get an idea of the context and the background. I believe that the book of James was written sometime between 45 and 47 A.D. There are reasons for that that I'll not go into, but that is my take on it. Also, I would remind you that when we talk of James, many times there's confusion. Simply because you have James, this James that I believe wrote this book, who is the half-brother of Jesus, that is, the son of Joseph and Mary. But Jesus was not the son of Joseph. Indeed, he was the son of God, and Mary was his earthly mother. So they were half-brothers, and he was not only talked about in the Gospels, but in Acts chapter 15, he is looked upon as the lead elder or senior pastor of the great Jerusalem congregation. Now you say, well, why would you say that? Well, as you read Acts 15, you will see, and you'll see that Paul talks about James in the book of Galatians. He seemed to be the leader of the church because when everyone else had spoken at the great Jerusalem conference dealing with the salvation of Gentiles as to whether they needed to become Jews and obey the commands of Moses as Jews— or whether they would be exempt from those things and would come by faith, trusting Jesus, repenting of their sins. And so after all of the Pharisees who had been saved and all of those who had given themselves to Judaism and then had come to Christ, they were all Jews, remember. And then Peter spoke and then Paul spoke, Barnabas spoke, all of these men well-respected after everyone had given their what we would call two cents, then the leader, the pastor, the senior elder of the church, the leader of the church said, this is what we're going to do. That is the way of a great leader. He takes in all of the information that is available, and he prays and seeks the face of God, and then he makes a decision. So James, who wrote this book, I believe is the Lord's half-brother. Now, there were other men named James as well. James, who was labeled the son of Alphaeus, 
who was sometimes called James the Younger in our English versions. The older versions, he's called James the Less. That doesn't mean that he is less than the other James, but that he is younger. James, who is the father of Judas, he was one of the apostles as well. The most popular and most often mentioned James is James, the brother of John, who is called with John the son of Zebedee. They were fishermen. They were from the village of Bethsaida. Remember, there were five disciples that came from Bethsaida. There was Peter and Andrew. There was James and John, and then there was Philip. That community, that town was located at the place where the Jordan River ran into the Sea of Galilee. There would have been all of that mineral content that would have brought those fish there. That village was called Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of hunter. That's not game hunting, as in deer or some other game. It was game fishing. It was commercial fishing. And so that's what they were involved in. Now, often when I say that, people will say, no, 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 no. Peter lived in Capernaum because we know that that's where his mother-in-law lived and he would have taken care of her. Exactly. You've just proved my point because the Bible clearly states that he comes from Bethsaida. But the reason he was living in Capernaum, more than likely, He had married the oldest daughter of a man who had no sons. He, marrying the oldest daughter, would have taken on the family as an older son would have. And he would have taken care of that mother who would have been the responsibility of that older daughter. And so Peter was just doing what any good Jewish traditional man would do, and that is he was taking care of his family. Now to the book of James. James was written to the 12 tribes who were scattered throughout the Greco-Roman world. They were scattered because of persecution. They were followers of Jesus. They were those who had become followers of Jesus, and they had fled the persecution that came into Jerusalem. And as they were scattered abroad throughout the world because the gospel had been taken to them, James knew that they would go through great trials being Jews and as well being followers of Jesus, which at that time was called a sect of Judaism. So he said, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into variegated trials, various trials, my brethren. So he's talking about believers who are Jews. Count it all joy. Now, that seems odd when you're going through testing and trial, and that's what the word is. It is the word for testing. It's the word for trial. And as you know, and I know, if we've lived any time at all, we know that trials are not just one type. They come in all shapes and sizes at different times of our lives, when we might expect them and when we might not. The word that he used for various is the word for variegate. It's the same word that's used for variegated thread. My grandmother used to crochet, and she usually used white thread because she made doilies 
that were of all shapes and sizes, and she did that out of thread or fine yarn. But from time to time, she wanted to make something special, and she would crochet, and she would say to me, Tony, I want you to go to town and get me some variegated thread. Now, what that meant was it would have been different colors. You see, that's the way trials are. They're variegated. They're all different kinds of colors. No two will ever be the same. And so he said, when you fall into these trials, know that God is going to do something in your life. He's testing you. Now, we're going to deal with temptation. Temptation is solicitation to do evil. Now, this is a separate word, but the word that is translated in the book of James later in this first chapter that has to do with both trials and temptations, that is the word which means both. And depending upon the context, you determine whether it is a solicitation to do evil, which always comes from the flesh, the world, or the devil, or testing, which always comes from God. Now, the reason that that same word is used is like many other words that are in the Greek and Hebrew language, context will determine What is the usage? Now, let me just help you to understand something about trials versus temptation. Even though the same word is often used to describe both, it has to do with the origin. You see, temptation is always designed by Satan to bring out the bad in you, whereas trials come from God or from some source that he allows in order to bring out the good in you. It's like fire, according to 1 Peter, that tests our metal. And when we get there, we'll learn about that aspect of trials where there's fire that burns the dross away and solidifies that which is valuable. That's what God is doing. And sometimes when we're going through trials, They are so difficult for us to discern what God is doing because many times it's not just one thing we need to learn, it's many things. And so he said, you're going to fall into various testings and trials, and when you do, be patient. Let God do his work in you so that you come out complete, lacking nothing. And he said, if any of you lack wisdom, now wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective. Wisdom, many times you will hear people say, even good godly people who may be misinformed, that will say, well, now wisdom is just common sense. They couldn't be more wrong because wisdom is not common sense. It's not natural sense. It's uncommon sense. It is spiritual sense. It is divine discernment. You see, the natural man doesn't discern the spiritual things of God, the heavenly things, the celestial things. And so God has to give us his perspective. And we don't naturally look at that. That's a spiritual thing. And so wisdom, the word for wisdom is in practicality, looking at life from God's point of view. It's looking at life from God's perspective. In other words, we look at it as he looks at it and his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so much higher is God's thoughts than ours. His ways higher than ours. And so this is very important. And so he said, if any of you lack God's perspective, and we will, 
Then he says, ask God, let that person who needs God's perspective, ask God, and he gives to all men liberally. In other words, God will give you, he's not trying to hide his will from you. He wants you to ask him. And the Bible says that when you ask him, he'll give it to you and he'll do it without reproach. That means when you ask God for his perspective, God will give you his perspective. Now, he might not give it immediately, but he'll give you the answer. He will give it to you freely. And listen to this. He won't fuss at you for asking. That's what not upbraid or reproach you. In other words, God, as our father, is waiting for his children to come and ask him. Now, think about this. I have three children, two boys and a daughter. Can you imagine my son coming to me and say, Dad, I want to know what is it that you are trying to teach me by asking me to go through this? And Daddy, I love you. I just want to know what you want so I can do what you want me to do and learn what you want me to learn through this so I don't have to go through this again and you don't have to test me and bring something into my life that I know is difficult for you because it causes me pain. Oh, my soul, my word, would any earthly father as carnal as we are, as lacking in discernment as we are, as many times unloving as we are and selfish as we are, would we not say, oh, thank you, son, for asking me? And we would tell them. I mean, what father would say, no, no, you're going to have to work it out. I'm not going to let you know anything because I despise you. No, that's the attitude sometimes we get from God, but God is not us. And so when you're going through trials, temptations, as we sometimes call those, remember the difference. When we're going through something that we know God has brought into our lives, He's wanting to bring out something good in us. He's wanting to burn away the dross in our lives, that which gives us cause for pain, sometimes sidetracks us. We can ask God, Lord, what do you want to show me? And he'll tell us. When we seek him with all of our heart, we'll be found of him. And the scripture says he won't fuss at us for asking. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.